0: Good morning, Gidimachi. Um, welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. Sintamana, Ana Pekabitam de. I am your host, K. Shi, Corrine Pierce. This morning, I'm going to take a little bit longer introducing myself so you have a better, idea- better understanding of who I am and where I'm coming from. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver. I'm a traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. I have taught classes focused on traditional uses of native plants, land stewardship, and fire ecology, um, as well as basket weaving and traditional ecological knowledge known as tech for over 25 years. I've consulted as an expert for multiple agencies and tribes in the restoration and care of native habitat. I've been featured in numerous news articles, art galleries, and museum exhibits all over the United States, States, which presently includes the Young Museum of Fine Art in San Francisco, the Cloverdale History Center and Museum in Cloverdale, California, and the Native American Gallery Fruitland Museum in Harvard, Massachusetts. I was a guest presenter at the 40th Annual Eco Farm Conference and the 2021 Regenerate Holistic Land Management Conference. I am the author of Pomo Cradle Baskets, an introduction, and a contributor to the booklet Native Plants Used by Native Pomos. I was featured in the PBS program Craft in America California episode. I have the honor of being a 2020 Jennifer Easton Community Spirit Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, as well as a 2020 inaugural Loose Indigenous Knowledge Fellow. I was recently featured in the 2020-2021 California Indian Conference Teaching and Learning Exhibit, California American Indian Culture and Arts Pedagogy. In November, I was named the 2021 Arts Champion of Mendocino by the Mendocino County Board of Supervisors. I'm currently working on my second book about Pomo Cradle Baskets and continue to teach, consult, and weave in my community. Um, I also want to mention a, pro- a project that I'm working on right now that is very close to my heart, which is actually um, putting in a wild and native plant garden at South Valley High School right in Ukiah. Um, so that's one ongoing thing that's going to happen soon, which is amazing. Uh, Yawi, yeah, thank you for joining me this morning to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I am grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community. I'm so excited for today's show. We're going to talk about baskets and history and making history. And I'm being joined by two amazing men that are history makers, living legends, and local treasures in so many ways. My first guest is Thomas Leon Brown of the Elam Pomo. He's a treasured elder and a cultural teacher. If you have been listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures uh, with any regularity, you will have heard his voice opening my show um, every month. Uh, it's his so- It's his song that he's singing, the two-step song. And my second guest is Ron Montez of the Big Valley Pomo Tribe. He's a tribal historian and culture bearer. He is also one of the Pomo men to occupy land in Forestville, California, 50 years ago. Many of you know about the occupation of um, Alcatraz. This is a little bit closer to home. And um, from that, they created something called the Akiyama Education Center in Forestville, which has become a place of education and education and ceremony for tribal people all over, especially tribal people that don't have land. I'm so grateful to have these two men with me and to share them with everyone listening today. Incidentally, these two men were the honored tribal ambassadors and opening speakers for the Jules Tavernier and the Alem Pomo exhibit um, that you've heard me talk about before. And that's currently at the De Young Museum of Fine Art in San Francisco all the way through April. So thank you um, both for being here. I want to give um, a little bit of history real quick. Everybody's going to get a quick history lesson before we talk to our guests. Um, so I'm a basket weaver and a lot of I'm very well known for the cradle baskets that I make because I seem to make a lot of them. Um, in 2020, I I feel like I broke the record for cradle basket weaving because I wove more than one full size cradle every month. Um, and that was 2020. And while that was happening, I realized that that was way hard work like my shoulders were tired i felt like i was a pitcher in a major league baseball um and i had i know the tradition and i had always been aware of the tradition that pomo cradles were woven by men um they were uh, pomo culture is very matriarchal so a lot of wealth moves through the females of the family and it is an uncle's responsibility to give wealth to that new new soul um, and i had always heard that and that was um really a tradition that had fallen by the wayside you know it's um i i had a guest say something and it really impacted me that our traditions um aren't you know gone they are just resting right now and this seemed like a resting tradition because the men are so busy um in our area we have suffered you know we're still suffering with missing and murdered indigenous women and men so they took a lot of our men and we didn't have a lot of weavers and um once that started to happen cradle baskets started to get handed down instead of made new for every baby's or every baby and, um, less and less people started weaving cradles or even knowing how to weave cradles. So 2021, I had the idea that I really wanted to see the sleeping tradition wake up again. So 2020, I did a ton of, of creating and in 2021 I did a year of preparation and I spent all my time, my extra time, um, preparing materials that I knew I would never weave. The materials were for men. They were for a, cla- a class of men that I was hoping to have to show them how to weave cradles again, to put it back in their hands. And um, it started to come to fruition and I didn't have a place to teach the class (laughs) and um Thomas contacted me and he said well I have a place and we can do it there and he was one of the participants as well as Ron we had um lots of different men we had men from Lake County we had men from Redwood Valley we had men come all the way over from um Sacramento so it was really amazing and I got choked up a lot um and Thomas was there and Ron was there. And these two men are just like amazing. We did our introductions and their introductions were a half an hour each. And they could have talked like, gosh, they could have just done the whole day talking with their personal experiences. Um, and what's amazing to me about these local treasures and these good ancestors is that What they have done in their life has impacted me and who I am and every generation. Like, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be weaving if it wasn't for these men. Um, and I'm glad that they were there to usher in the next generation of weavers. So with that short, brief uh, history lesson, <laughs> I am going to turn it over to Thomas, and we're gonna, I'm going to let him introduce himself and talk about uh, what he loves. Welcome, Thomas. Sintamana. Oh, oh, oh. good morning.
1: How are you? My name is Thomas Leon Brown, a member of the Indian Colony Pomo Tribe. I'm the second eldest, unfortunately, now today of the tribe, because there are many of those that we've lost over the last couple of years. I have, for many years, uh, been singing alongside of my father, who is Jim Brown II, our last cultural leader and language speaker in medicine and blessing man for the 11th colony back in the early days. Uh, my mother is Aldina Hopper Brown, who's a blessed woman of the Big Valley tribe. And um, both of them have raised our families in a ways of just learning to, about our culture, learning about our songs, learning about the plants, learning about the medicines and uh, hoping that we could, um, Share those uh, with anyone that we run into or meet. It's been a long, it's been a, it's been a while that we've been able to all uh, celebrate uh, these uh, traditional dances and songs together. Uh, unfortunately, as many of the family members have passed on, I've been given the uh, I was given the uh, what they call the some people call it clappers and, and singing stick of uh, my father to carry on the traditional songs. That, of the eleven colony tribe, as you know, we we do ceremonies on eleven called the big head bolo dances uh, on on the reservation. We also provide uh, shake head, uh, what we call shake head dances in at performances at big time events uh, throughout the throughout the state of California, and uh, i also uh, was one of the first groups to do it also in the Arizona State Fair. Uh, provide uh, and the museum there to do be the Pomo songs uh, for them in Arizona but um now that most of the first all of my family members most of them are gone and, and I uh, I don't want to forget uh, the, the the songs and the prayers and the things that we did growing up so I'm trying to carry that on and I and I want I want to share that with all the younger people even, some of the elders have indicated to me that they would like to also um, uh, be, let me kind of give them information about those times of ceremonies and how they were and what would happen in the ceremonies. So I'm, I'm more than willing to do that and go out to elder groups um, in the area of Lake County right now. Right now, I, I, w- I work as a uh, cultural director for the Indian colony Tribe as well as now a cultural specialist with the with the county of lakes um, the uh, behavioral health department the county behavioral health department i was the first native to develop a, um, a agency under the, under the county of lake Behavioral health and i remember the first day that they invited me to uh, or hired me the first day of the hiring and a meeting with the executive directors of the county mental health and the county behavioral health service, they asked me, they said to me, you know, this is the first time this agency has hired a Native American. As you know, mental health and behavioral health don't know much about Native Americans. So can you put together maybe a plan for us and, and, and uh, maybe a five-year plan to how we want to, how would you work with the Native Americans in this county or any Native Americans in the community? So I said. Oh, certainly. I said, the first thing I'd like to do is uh, have my own Native American center. And they said, uh, what? And I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to sit in this mental health building and, and ask my tribal members or people who have problems to come into a building that says mental health on top of it. It's sort of a stigma for our people. So I said, uh, how can I do that? And they said, well, that's a challenge. You'll have to go before the Board of Supervisors and request that you would like to have your own center for the Native American community. And why and the reasons. And so I said, that's fine. So they set up the date. I was thinking that all of the um, management would be along with me uh, to go before the Board of Supervisors. I showed up at the Board of Supervisors meeting back in 2011, or 2010, I'm sorry, 2010. and. Uh, there was no one there but me and on the board. So the board called me up to a microphone and I said that who I am, what I do, what my requesting. And after they all looked at each other and said, uh, uh, okay, we unanimously approve it. You go ahead and have your own center. <laughs> so that's how the Circle of Native Minds Cultural Center was created in uh, in under the behavioral health services or mental health program uh that was created to uh and what they asked me what type of things that I would want to be doing. I say, Well, I would like to offer prayers to all families for wellness, goodness, happiness, and their sickness, faith with faith, trust and recovery from the things that are ongoing in their lives such as you know, drugs, alcohol, suicide, and then the, then of course now the, the virus will continue. I want to provide traditional smudge to protect and heal uh, their families in sadness. I remember that when the uh, when when the uh, first family came to see me, and I was still in that building, mental health, the um, only reason why they came to see me because the psychiatrist from the county said, uh, you know, after they uh, were treating this family, they said, uh, well, you know, the county just hired this new Indian guy down in this hallway and uh, maybe you guys ought to go see him because we were told to send you guys down there. So the family came down, um, uh, mother and her kids, and uh, came in the room and I introduced myself and I, I told them what I do and I said, uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a, a, a blessing for you and a song for you and the kids. And so I did a blessing prayer and, and then I did a song. And then after that, I did that, I then I talked to them about, what are what kind of things they know about their culture uh are they involved in their culture so we had a good conversation they left after a while uh, i got a call back from the director and I said the psychiatrist said that uh he's not not sure what you're doing with the native people but they're not coming to him anymore to take their medications and so i said well i'm i'm doing i'm doing what i know with the songs and prayers and blessings for, for our people they said, well, as long as they, they have to continue to take their depression medicines, I said, well, I don't have anything to do with that. So that conversation ended, and they tried to, they stopped the natives from coming to me for a while. And then, I, so when, I, so when I moved to the new cultural center, I was able to provide uh, Native American people with medicines for their blessings and for their spiritual protection for their families. I would provide personal Native American prayers for to them to take home for their families. I would provide one-on-one cultural awareness information about to share with their families. I would explain the form culture to include dances, songs, language, and ceremonies, provide information on upcoming Native American events taking place. I would provide a listing of any, listing of any other outside Native American agencies that may assist them. I also did historical trauma training, uh, cultural awareness training. Cultural awareness is a training that for our native people, our own people, for the things that may, they may have forgotten, to remind them of those cultural things that they need to be continuing to keep in their mind and in their body and soul. Then I do cultural sensitivity training for the outside non-native agencies, social service, insurance department, probation, uh, and um, uh, well, at, at that time the welfare department, and uh, uh, tell them about the actual history of our people and the tragedies and traumas of uh, not only as a Native American in in general, but uh, Native Americans here in Lake County uh, with the history history of the Bloody Island Massacre of our people, Uh, the sadness of that story and the sadness of the continuance of people uh, still not respecting our ways or understanding our ways or caring about our ways and so now that's uh, sort of changing slowly as people like Corrine and Ron coming on to teaching uh, And again, our people, uh, and reminding those that are not aware of many things of our people here locally. I was, I was, I was really uh, honored to also to be able to, uh, I do go into uh, the high schools in the County and they invite me to some history classes to talk about the real california industry and every time i do that all of the students in the classroom keep their heads down on their desks because it's uh it's it's really an horrendous uh, uh, thing for them to know how how we were murdered and, killed and, and disrespected and dishonored and, and you know there's all the saying my cousin Howard the as you say, they used to always say, you know, their, their motto in, in this California kind of was, you know, uh, kill the Indian and save the man. That was the motto of the California Indian people. And uh, so those things uh, uh, I wanted to uh, uh, teach to people who are not aware of those kind of things in the sensitivity training. And I have been getting those information out to people. And in, in fact, I'll be, I'll be doing a training tomorrow for, on virtual for in Sacramento for uh, 24 different agencies in Sacramento that calls for summary tomorrow for them. But uh, it's something that I, I really believe in to get out there, but more importantly, right now, I'm really uh, concerned about our own people to try to keep as much as possible to our traditional ways. We have a lot of young people. I'm really proud that today I know we have many, many dance groups around today in both Mendocino, our Como country, you know, Sonoma uh, Lake in Mendocino. In, in 71 and 72, when my uncle Nelson Hopper, who lived to be 100 years old, and my father Jim Brown, the second were teaching, uh, the feathered chicken dance, Okanyakaya, that they leased the place. I remember that time there were, at that time, there were no groups because they were not accepted to. You couldn't dance anything. You couldn't. They wouldn't accept you to you yeah. events and anything like that. So there was no one doing anything. But I'm so thankful that blessed that I've been able to live this long. People see that today we have many many groups. We have big time events. We have a lot of people singing and dancing, and and with yeah. some of the c- concerns in my own area here, and my own tribe, Lake County, we have many many young people who are wanting to get into it, and they do learn a lot of the old ways uh, of the songs. Uh, most of them have adapt, adapted different types of songs, faster songs, and, and to keep it with the young ones. I've uh, always reminded them uh, that's fine, as long as it's good when we're all dancing and, and having these ceremonies, as long as people are not on drugs and alcohol or thinking about suicide, that. That's wonderful. But at the same time, the songs that you sing, and be sure you're singing the right song has given them that strong uh, blessing and spirit so they can carry on. Be careful about singing some songs that are not appropriate for some of the events and some of the ceremonies that you sing. So I want to keep on uh, continuing to do this kind of work as much as I found as I possibly can. uh, It's, uh, you know, the words of um, to our Great Spirit remember that it always said that when we were born, you know, uh, the, the, the Creator cried, but our world rejoiced. We live in life on in the Creator's ways. And when we return to the Great Spirit, the world will cry for us, but the Creator will rejoice. We wants to remember the faces and smiles and tears and hugs and the voices of our loved ones who had passed through that brought joy and happiness. Caring and love into our hearts. We must teach the young ones of the good ways that our loved ones shared with us while they were here. Give that to them, remember, and build upon it. Remember their life was a blessing. Their memory is a treasure. They are loved beyond measure.
0: Oh. Oh. Thank you so much, Thomas. I was just, um, gosh, what you said really resonated with me. I was at a big time this was before COVID, uh, the big time that they have at Pinoleville. And um, I. it was the night, and I was just sitting, and I was watching um, the end of the night dancing, right? So everybody was up dancing. And I was thinking that, um, you know, I was born in the 70s, so I remember that. I remember learning. And there, if you wanted to see Pomo dancing, you went over to the coast or you went over to the lake, and that was really... You know, it, and now these kids that are dancing with so many, you know, a hundred dancers around them won't know any different. And I think that that is so amazing. You really, um, what's important to me and what I do is representation and preservation of culture. And you do both of those things very, very well, Thomas. Thank you very much for, um, being here and for the words that you said. And thank you to our listeners. You're listening to KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. And you are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. And today I had special guest Thomas Leon Brown and my second guest, Ron Montez from Big Valley. Um, Ron, are you around? <laughs> Okay. I'm here. There I'm you here. are. Yay! So, um, can you please, uh, you have time? Please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. And um, then at the end, tell us what it was like to work on your basket.
2: <laughs> I've had several people try to buy that from me already. All right. <laughs> one of my cousins. One of my cousins talked me into making one for his his daughter. So. I have to get busy going out and getting some materials.
0: I warned you. I warned all of the I warned all of the participants that as soon as someone finds out you know how to weave, then you're it. (laughs) Tag, you're it.
2: I was surprised how quickly that happened.
0: (laughs) I remember when you were in class, you said you got a message somebody asking you to (laughs) can you teach them or can you show them next? So um tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. So you do um you're the what is it called over Big Valley?
2: The TIPO, uh, the, the TIPO, uh, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. And so uh, my name is Ron Montez. My mother is uh, Rose Hopper from the Hopper clan here in Big Valley. Everyone is, basically knows my uncle Nelson. And Thomas and I are cousins, first cousins. His mother is my mother's sister. And so, uh, i was uh thinking about as i was listening to thomas share some of those cool things that he's been involved in and made some headway for our people to get help and also to be uh, to let people know we're still alive and still kicking here in lake county Uh, i'm also a tribal elder here at big valley after the tilly hardwick case that was won and we received our some of our lands back um, I was voted in as the tribal chairman and my first task was to get our um, constitution and bylaws put together because for years and since in the 1930s when uh, my Uncle Nelson and the generations before me became uh, official rancheria tribe. They call them the Big Valley Village Association. But when termination came, that was done away with, with all the bylaws and the constitutions.
0: So, um, so after, Ron, <coughs> for people that are listening that don't know any of the history of termination, can you let them know when that was? It was not very long ago. No. Well,
2: in 1958... Uh, The U.S. passed the Reorganization Act in that they terminated certain tribes, and uh, Big Valley was one of those. And that termination meant that we would, um, the land that we had, which was held as a rancheria, would be subdivided in lots, would be given to each of the members. And in return, the government would come in and repair our substandard housing and help repair our water system and our roads and to bring it up so that it would pass any inspections because we were so uh um it was just really sad shape at that time really so with the promises from them they wanted to train some of the native people so they sent them and so it's called relocation sent them to the different cities to gain some type of training uh, a, a trade and so my family with my stepfather dewey barnes and he was from sugar bowl and my mom from big valley we, they got married and uh, my um, stepdad dewey barnes uh, was related to some families that were from Elem and so we moved to Elam, and that's where I was raised and at that time there was just a dirt road coming in there and a few shacks and um, um, some uh, dilapidated housing that was built a long time ago with no insulation. I used to lay in the bed at night and look up through the roof and see the stars up there. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> whenever, whenever it rained, you know, we'd have to find every pot in the house and put it in there to, to keep us from getting wet. <laughs> uh, anyhow, I had fun. I thought it was a, a nice experience, but uh, it was pretty poor uh, living conditions. Anyway, so I was raised there on Elam. And so when our family was sent uh, on relocation, I think I must have been in... The, third fourth grade down to Los Angeles and it was an eye-opener because my house I was raised in is right next to a lake I just go out my back door and walk down the trail and I can jump in the lake it was my it was our bathtub it was our spa <laughs> it was our fishing hole it was our tule uh, place to go and eat toolies And also to shoot mud hen and so uh, now I'm in Los Angeles there's no lake all there are are a bunch of people that I don't know are all different colors walking around and I'm just a young kid and so they put us in a it was like a housing is like a hotel or motel hotel we were up on about the third floor and um, I remember that uh, it caught on fire while we were down there, <laughs> and so we had to move, and they moved us out into uh, the projects, and uh, the housing projects in Los Angeles. There's multi- there's multicultural people there from all over. We had Samoans there, we had uh, Mexican, we had other uh, Native people from different uh, states had a Pima Indian living above us, and then uh, it was run by some Mexican gangs, basically. And so here I am, um, just a young kid, and and we had one main street that came down through there, and and, uh, when it rained, all the water rolled down through there, and then... uh, it would kind of dry up, but it'd get kind of slick, and we'd just run and just slide on those things all the time. And I learned how to crawl down the, the sewer holes that they had, where they catch all the drain water. Crawl down, and play- my playground was had become the sewer system, which entered into the Los Angeles River, which is not a river, it's just a little, like, tiny creek, and that's where all the storm water and... I don't know the sewer, but boy, it stunk. Anyway, that was my playground in those days. And as we lived there for a while, I had to get involved and jumped into a gang. Uh, Because there was no other, uh, well, there was one other Indian. Later on, my uh, other cousin came down there, the the Browns, and um, my Uncle Calvin Brown and my, my Auntie Teresa Brown. And so we had two sisters living down there. And so we grew up in Los Angeles. And um, so it was a rough time. I got in a lot of trouble, stole cars, and got. Uh, they were going to send me to California youth authorities. And they said, unless you go back to the reservation, you need to. Uh, or you're going to go to a CYA. And I said, well, well, get back. So I went back, and as I. Uh, came back, I would uh, visit um, just my my relatives all over again, getting reacquainted and things. And so, I finished high school in 1968. And for everyone that doesn't know this, I finished high school at Lower Lake uh, High School, Union High School. And... uh, a cousin before me, Thomas Brown's bro- older brother, Marvin Brown, was the, the the homecoming king. He was voted the homecoming king. The Indian boy named Marvin Brown, the first homecoming king. Man, that was pretty cool. And then when I graduated, I was uh, made the homecoming king. I was voted in as the homecoming king over the school. After me, was Thomas Brown, he was the homecoming king and after him was our other cousin, Richard Stewart. Uh, uh, He plays guitar with his son on uh, Twice as Good, that band that's traveling around. And so uh, we had a little run there of Indian boys who was the homecoming king. I got a picture of me sitting in the homecoming king throne with my queen. A blonde Massan gal, uh, Massan, a white gal, and uh, <clears throat> big old smiles. I was just pretty skinny back then. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm I'm kind of getting off the subject there. I'm just kind of telling you about my life story. But after I graduated high school, I had no uh, idea what I was going to do in my life, and it just so happened that I had a, an uncle named Delbert Thomas who uh, had got on with Pacific Gas and Electric Company, PG&E and uh, they were looking for summer help and so he told me about it It filled out all the information and they hired me for summer help right out of school and uh, I thought that was pretty cool was, uh, at the same time I uh, met my high school sweetheart, a white gal but uh, she was from willits born in Willets, and um, we got married the day after graduation we graduated on a friday got married on a saturday moved into our house on a sunday and i went to work for pg e on a monday
0: wow <laughs>
2: <clears throat> so after that we had our first son his name is ron the second and um, very fine man i appreciate him he's a good friend as well as my son and i respect him a lot Um, from there we uh, started our journey into uh, adulthood and family but in the meantime i had been uh, um, introduced and put into uh, that training time of every young man on the res in those days was to learn about roundhouse and learn how to dance and learn how to participate in the rules for each roundhouse. And so uh, I started my journey in our culture in that area of uh, dance for the roundhouse. And so I danced Big Head and that's all I've ever danced is Big Head. And so that became uh, a passion for me. I had an experience when I was dancing uh, I, I saw like all of our ancestors sitting around inside the roundhouse and they were just watching as I was dancing and I became that head that I was dancing and I just felt like I was floating from side to side around the fire, if anybody knows about our roundhouse dances. You go from the right to the left on one side of the fire and you have a leader on the other side. So. Um, I felt like I became that and I was I had an experience that touched me so deeply inside uh, I always wanted to have that same experience again because it touched me and it it made me uh, feel like I was part of something huge you know there's all these old Indian people men sitting around there and I was, I was just uh, just dancing got carried away in it and uh, it was just um, the spiritual thing happened to me there. And so every time I would go to dance, I would look to have that same experience, but I, it always uh, just eluded me. But I had that passion, and I had a passion to see our things, our ceremonies done correctly. And I saw it start to, to change, and were, the rules were being compromised, and, and it just grieved my heart. But... In those days, uh, you know, you're just young and you're coming up. And so you follow those elders and different ones in front of you. And then you, you can only share things with certain people that you have confidence in. And so um, in, in, in my lifetime, uh, Thomas's his dad, Uncle Jimmy, was uh, the one that I looked to because I had uh, my father is... Uh, I forgot to introduce my dad. He's uh, Fernando Montez. He's went to an Indian from um, Calusa. And he and my mother um, separated and got divorced when I was three years old. And so then uh, I was living, my mom was a single mom for quite some, a uh, couple of years there anyhow. And uh, I don't know if any of you uh, have heard about our uh, uh, the way that our celebrate our time and things at uh, in those days, we got paid on the first and fifteenth from welfare, and so then we would go and buy a big sack of beans and rice and some flour, and then uh, my mom liked to drink, and so uh, her and my. Stepdad and different ones would go to the bars on the weekends, and I'd sit out in the cars and take care of the kids. They'd bring me a soda pop and some chips and peanuts or something, and I would just stay out there. And uh, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us who've done that. <clears throat> it was just part of our the the culture at that time was because of the the trauma that was that happened to our people and our generational trauma was handed down from one generation to the other and the only way of to feel like you have any self-worth or anything is is to uh, just kind of um, drown it and in those days the favorite thing was wine and so everybody would drink wine and then the weekends at the bars close it down and everybody go back home and party so that was my early childhood development <laughs> what, what that did is it gave me a heart to take care of uh, my, my, my siblings my brother and my sisters and my cousins it just gave me, I wanted, I wanted to look out for them and so that carried over into my life to pick up um, care for our people I'm not an Indian activist, but I'm passionate about um, the things that affect us that are uh, not right. And so um, I went to work for PGE also myself in that summer work. And then I got a call from my um, high school cons- counselor, and he said, You want to go to school? I said, oh, I'm working for PG&E. He said, well, you get one shot and you want to try it. He said, you can go to Santa Rosa JC. I have a scholarship for you to go cover your tuition. So I took it, <clears throat> and uh, I was married and had a child, but I still took it, and uh, there's where I met my old buddy Dave Smith from Kashia. We shared a cabin together while we was going to uh, Santa Rosa Junior College. And uh, he used to, uh, he's crazy, him. <laughs> he's, he's just a party animal, that boy, at that time. And I was this little, uh, I was this um, quiet guy sitting over in the corner wondering what the heck's going on. But anyway, he kind of introduced me to a lot of the other. Uh, young men who were there from Kashaya and then some from Robinson Trepa boys who from over there and some Santa Rosa boys and we formed what they call now uh, it was a Native American club on, on Santa Rosa campus and with all of us we decided to, to um, start what they call Day Under the Oaks and so I tell this story every time that uh, I kind of lied and told everybody that we had a famous singer Bucky Saint Marie coming in for the first the day under the Oaks and I hadn't even talked to her, called her and seen her picture but anyway so lots of people showed up but I said oh she's delayed nah, no, she can't make it. <laughs> anyway we had fun on day under the Oaks the first one and it's still going and uh, it was a time to let all of our native people have have a day where they celebrated themselves, where we get in and do our, our shakehead dances or our, our, um, good time dances there, and just had a time where we could just get together with other tribes, the tribal people, and uh, do something other than uh, drink and just have fun as families. And also during that time, you know, with the Indian Reorganization Act, when they terminated us, they made us non-Indians. We were no longer available. uh, The BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, classified us as non-Indians. And so we weren't um, eligible for any benefits from uh, BIA. And part of that benefits was a uh, higher education uh, grant where they'd help young men go to higher education so i i didn't qualify for that and so uh, i had to uh, sweep floors and clean up in the cafeteria to make put myself through there because the scholarship i had only covered so much and it wouldn't support my family so my family stayed home with uh, her folks in clear lake and i stayed in santa rosa and went to school um I graduated there after two years and got a, a scholarship for um, <clears throat> uh, Davis and I was going to enter into uh, the legal field to become a Native American lawyer. Uh, I don't know how that would ever happen. I don't think I have the brains to handle that, but I uh, because complications with my wife's second pregnancy, we couldn't do it and I had to drop out, and I uh, went back to work for PG&E. I've been in that field for over 40 years. Um, I became a lineman then climbing power poles and uh, putting up electricity and storms. And so I followed my uncle, Gilbert Thomas, in that field. And it provided a, a, a good uh, living. And so my, uh, my return then back to the, the things of, uh, that meant more to me in, in my culture was uh, I had this yearning. In between that time, I became a Christian, a born-again Christian from the charismatic mood. And in that, I, I play guitar, and so I, I was a worship leader and led worship in Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, here. And then eventually went over to India, uh, four times to in India, in England, three times, uh, flew into uh, Japan once. They wouldn't let us off the airplanes, but I still claim that I was there. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, I became uh, um, a sought-after worship leader in the Christian realm. But I always had this call inside of me for my, my own heritage. And so I came across some books, One Tribe, Many Nations, and uh, it brought me to that calling that I had inside that I could be a native man Still celebrate around our fires in the roundhouse, and I could have uh, that relationship, which was then was more focused towards Christ, and I could, I have that relationship with Creator, and there wasn't um, a no-no; it wasn't uh, these uh, Indians who are pagan, paganistic, and all this stuff. It was really a melding of it and I was, I went to a meeting in uh, Oregon and there was these Native Americans down on this big drum, a powwow drum and they're drumming and singing. And as I walked, and it was like you walk down the walkway to get to your seats. As I was walking down, my feet began to move with each stump of that drum. And as I got closer, tears started to swell up in my eyes and my feet were moving in tune with the drum because in the roundhouse that drum is that tie that we have with the earth, it's that heartbeat of Mother Earth and that tells me that I'm home, I'm in the place I belong, that's me and I, I got all that back just walking down to the drums and I'm sitting there, sitting by myself, just crying my eyes out on what. And I felt like I was just being loved again and embraced by Creator. And it brought me such a release inside that from that point on, I began to do my uh, Indian two step during worship when I'm leaving with the guitar. <laughs> and uh, I would then uh, sing some of the songs that I would remember up there. And people would be out there looking at me, What's he doing? Anyhow, I was just having a great time, me, myself, and creator. And that brought me back to a place to get in touch with my roots, with my people. And uh, that brought me into a deeper relationship that I have now with our traditions and our culture, our history. I have a deep love for our people and the sufferings that our ancestors went through to get us to where we are today. How how awesome they are, how creative they are, and that has been handed down in our bloodline to our people. We have much to be to appreciate. When the Spanish came to make us all cowboys and then uh, and ranchers, and then when they left, the colonizers came in and made us slaves and uh, stealing our people and molesting our women and kidnapping our our children and selling them and just abusing us and the law was on their side and they could kill us for whatever reason they wanted. They wanted to annihilate us because we were less, we were a nuisance animal, just like a prairie dog. When I think about all those things now, it just makes my heart uh, appreciate our ancestors and the things they went through and so... I am now the Tribal Historic Preservation of our tribe here and I speak up everywhere I can about our people and how proud we should be and what a great ancestors we have behind us that have persevered through all these hardships that we will never ever experience and brought us the life that that we have now and are living. And we should be proud of who we are. We should hold our heads up high to think that we have, we had our own economy and um, everything that we put together, even our ceremony and religious systems and monetary systems. We had a way of handling and taking care of each other, which I continue to tell. This is this is the real Pomo way, not what you've learned. You learned the ways of the cultures around you you've you've exchanged one for the other go back to what we had it held our people in place for thousands of years and it will continue to hold us so that is a lot of my uh, words to the younger generations but do it the correct way many of the young people are learning from books and. and, uh, and leaving out that elder portion of it where it's handed down. And I told different ones there at our weaving class that there's a transfer or something when you speak. Oh, I think we're ending.
0: Sounds like Thomas is singing. (laughs) Oh, all right, Tom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so so much, Ron. Man, you're making me cry right now. Um, it is such a blessing to hear every word that you say and what I think is amazing, I could have you on here every single day for the next 10 years and still hear your So I love the story about Buffy St. Marie and you fibbing that she was going to be there, but it still got people to come. And the for everyone that's listening, Day Under the Oaks is still happening. It's still, And that was in the 70s. Um, so it started then. It's still happening now. Um, we, I'm going to take my leave of you right now. I'm going to thank my guests for being here. Thank you so much. Um, have a wonderful day month happy uh, new lunar year of the tiger uh, which is pretty cool and thank you so much for your words Thomas thank you so much Ron um, it was a pleasure to have you you here thank you oh, oh, oh.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: podcast was produced by KZYX FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio from Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg. If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.